Let's start. You are now rocking. Rocking with the best. Double rainbow. Oh my God. Live on your radio. It's the Beat Break with your host, Sean Garvey. I'm the dude. Good morning, everyone. It's the Beat Break Morning Show, the Beat Break Podcast. Good morning to you and to everyone listening to us worldwide on the World Wide Web. BeatworkRadioFM.com. We're also simulcasting on ThinkingOutLoudNetwork.com. Make sure you follow us everywhere on your social media at Beatbreak Radio Podcast FM Now and on Reach One Network Podcast. Don't forget to download that app to your mobile phone and to your smart devices. Podcast FM app. You can check out all the live programming 24-7 on Beatwork 87 FM. And Reach One Network. You can also check out archive videos and on-demand shows on the Podcast FM app. You can get it from Amazon, Google Play, the App Store. And we are also streaming on Spotify, iHeart Podcast, and Google Podcasts. We got a very important show, a very serious show that we are going to do this morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are waiting for DJ Roller to show up he is running a bit late you know the life of a dj he is always busy but he will be joining with us but here to hold it down for me until dj Rollum gets here is a great friend of mine i know this gentleman for a few years now and he's been a part of an organization uh that i was also affiliated with the man of intelligence association i i want to make sure that i correct it because it's been so long since i've been a part of the organization the man of intelligence association i met him through my cousin and another friend of mine and then years later he decided that i am going to do a podcast the name of the podcast is called wrestling with my thoughts and he's also the same person that introduced me to mario watts in which you can check out his show every other monday through friday or matter of fact every monday through friday at 8 p.m uh random select podcast with mario watts on beatwork 87 fm but it's not about mario watts it's all about this man right here ron glaze on the live line good morning man good to see you again how you been i've been good man just trying to maintain through this uh this covid situation uh, and, and keep myself busy. Yeah, I've uh, been working, working on myself. I've gone through some things personally over the past year, uh, working on myself, fixing things for myself and getting to a, a place where I can finally be happy and, and satisfied. Um, the podcast is growing. I'm working on uh, my second year now mm-hmm. and uh, just looking for bigger and better things. Had my, uh, my very first um, supporter come on uh, this week. And uh, so that was great news and uh, just looking to do bigger and better things. Nice. Nice, man. Well, I'm always glad to hear that podcasters, especially in the podcast community, are doing big things and taking their content to the next level. And the name of your podcast is Wrestling With My Thoughts. And just briefly share with our listeners what the podcast is all about. Yeah. Wrestling With My Thoughts is a podcast that uh, reinforces the need for open and honest dialogue about tough tough conversations to have. Um, I chose that name. Initially, my, my show was called the Randomly Ron Podcast. But you spoke about our mutual friend, Mr. Mario Watts, uh, his show being called the uh, the Random Select Podcast. I decided to change the name of my show um, just to differentiate myself from something out there. And I'm a self-professed wrestling nerd. 
And um, I just use a little play on words, the Wrestling With My Thoughts podcast, because what I do on the podcast is uh, just that. I wrestle with my thoughts. I throw something out there. Uh, at times I'll have guests on to talk about it, but I have open and honest dialogue. Uh, I truly believe that the first step in solving a lot of the problems that we have in our society today from everything from uh, what we're going to talk about today, uh, crime, uh, racial issues, um, just anything you can think of. I think the first step in that is open and most importantly, honest dialogue. And that's what I try to do. Open and honest. That's what podcasting is all about is some things you just cannot say on mainstream radio and i'm glad that we are utilizing today's technology to be able to say what we need to say but you know as a radio broadcaster and a podcaster myself what i tend to do ron is i go back to most of my shows that i recorded and i critique myself i'm always learning about radio and i'm always doing different things to innovate myself but also get better as a podcaster slash broadcaster and what i'm trying to do ron is i'm trying to not say um every time (laughs) every time i say a sentence or finish a paragraph i try not to say um so much and there's plenty of radio personalities as well as podcasters that have a habit of doing that I don't know if you remember, but years ago, I think it was either on B98.5 FM or Star 94 in Atlanta, they had these two hosts on the evening show that challenged listeners to call in and not say, um, because they have a tendency, they have a tendency, the, the personalities had a tendency to say, um, and they not only had to challenge themselves, but they had to challenge other people as well to see if they would do it better than them. Yeah, I, I struggle with that, too. Um, there, I, I listen back to some of my shows. I don't listen back to all of them. Um, the biggest reason is um, I hate the way I sound on recorded radio. Um, <laughs> so when I listen back to it, I'm, I'm self-critical of my voice. But above and beyond that, yeah, I listen for the um or but um or the stutters or, or whatever and try to consciously change that as I go forward with the podcast. Yeah. And it's tough because it's it's just so natural. It's what we do. It's it's like a pause from from one sentence to the next or from one thought to the next. So it's just almost automatic that we say, um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an everyday practice thing for me. So what I've decided to do is and I want people on the live line to hold me accountable throughout the duration of this podcast. I have a jar here. And if you hear me say, um, (laughs) multiple times, I want you to say, Sean Garvey, put a coin in the jar. I'll I'll tell you one thing that's helped me. Um, Your cousin has called me out on numerous occasions for um, I'll say something comparing my show to some of the people that I I follow and look up to as podcasters, such as a Joe Rogan or a Conrad Thompson, or um, even a uh, uh, Jim Cornette, who's another wrestling personality. I'll I'll compare my show to theirs. And he's called me out privately. Stop doing that. He goes, your show's not theirs. Your show is yours. Do your own thing. Quit trying to be like somebody else. And that helps me come out of that, um, 
self-comparison, if you will, because I'm, I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not any of those other people. I'm, I'm Ron and I want my show to be uniquely mine. Right. Yeah. You can only be you. Don't try to be like anybody else. I had people try to compare me to this radio personality and to that radio personality. And I know some people would say, well, I'm trying to be the next Howard Stern. No, don't try to be the next Howard Stern. Just be the next you. Just just be you. That's more yes. authentic. Uh, so, yeah, but like, like I said, hold me accountable if you hear me say, um, okay? Now, the only time you, you would hear me this? say, um, is if I'm reciting you a masterpiece that's song. Right. That's right. You just said it. I need, to, I need two coins in that bucket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We finally got DJ Rollum on the live line. Good morning, DJ Rollum. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Man, you sound sleepy. My son's name on here, like uh. uh, uh see, uh, you see, um, we just got through talking about that, uh. <laughs> All right. I'm like, why, why my son's name keep coming up on here? <laughs> yeah. Hey man, well, hey man, we glad we got you on the live line this morning. Uh, we're gonna talk about towards the end of the podcast. We're gonna talk about some things that you are getting ready to do. As we count down to your marital bliss, to your soon-to-be new wife, and you got something special for us in the caffeine and energy drink mix as we pay a special tribute to one of the icons in the hip-hop game, man. So, DJ Rowland, you ready to get this show started, sir? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, One of the most important shows that uh, we are doing on the Beat Break Morning Show uh, throughout our whole entire history of doing the Beat Break Morning Show, we have brought in a lot of influencers and, and people of influence that have changed the way we look at things from a social awareness perspective. And unfortunately, in the world that we are living in, we, you know, we watch the news a lot and, and we listen to the radio Okay, and we listen to the um, radio a lot, and uh, we hear so many news stories about different things that has happened across the country and uh, around the world and what have you. But in Atlanta, in which we do the Beat Break Morning Show from, uh, we've had so many incidents that has happened within the course of the uh, year so far, you know, before COVID and after COVID, during COVID and, and what have you. And uh, not to mention the recent attack that happened at the massage bar, spa in Cherokee County a few days ago that left people on edge. And all eyes are watching on the city of Atlanta as we all come together to not only raise awareness about hatred, uh, but to also just raise awareness about all the other different things hitting our community real hard from sexism to bigotry, uh, just so many different things. And here to talk about it on the Beat Break Morning Show, we have a panel of guests to speak out about it and say how they feel about this series of events that has happened in our community. Of course, we have Ron Glaze, a broadcaster of Wrestling With My Thoughts. He is on the live line, and we also have another special guest on the live line. She's been on the Beat Break Morning Show before, and I'm so glad that 
I had an opportunity to get her on the live line uh, because this is a very important matter. And I just felt that it was a need to have an important official to be on the morning show to address the recent incident that took place as well as all the incidents that took place in Atlanta so far. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome back the member. Uh, she's a member of the Georgia House of Representatives for District 56. We have Misha Maynard on the live line. Uh, good morning, Misha Maynard. How are you doing? I am good, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm hanging in there, taking everything all in, uh, in light of the series of events that's been happening in our own city. Um, honorable representative and it's, it's just a lot to take in really uh from a mental standpoint but i'm glad to uh, have you on the live line i know you're going to be bouncing back and forth with us because you taking care of some uh, various actionable items but thank you for taking the time and out of your busy schedule to be with us this morning i'm happy to be here um it's been a lot going on like you said um it's an attack on the asian american community but it's also a an attack on women in general. And I actually have put forth a lot of legislation since the beginning of January, particularly geared towards violence against women. Mm -hmm. uh, we are in a Republican majority state house, and I haven't had much success in getting a lot of those bills passed, but I did get one bill passed out of the House. It's House Bill 138. And House Bill 138, um, it's regarding tenant rights. Um, and in particular, it allows police departments to post violent crimes such as rapes, um, trafficking, and so forth on their websites. So individuals, especially women, can know how safe a community is before they move to it. Um, so I'm glad to be here and happy to discuss um, the events. Look, put some money in your coin box for me saying um, that. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. hear that a lot from me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll try to do our best. And within the limited amount of time that we have you on, and we'll get to the other guests as well. But I also want to bring in why I have you on the live line with us, Representative Misha. I also have a member of the Asian community, and she's also an animator as well. We had her on the morning show a couple of years back as well, too. And she's also here to talk about it as well. We have Marissa on the line. Marissa? Hello. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hello. How you doing? Hey, you know. uh, doing good. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just here with my thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do usually definitely want to say, you know, it's like, it, it's like, um, I always have this thing where I was like, this is all my own thoughts, my personal feelings, but um, I think it's important to kind of have that conversation and share because uh, even if I can't say I speak for everybody, I can definitely say that this is uh, something that I think is important. And um, at least if I share it, maybe somebody else will kind of keep that in mind as well. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I want to just focus in on having Representative Misha Maynard talk uh, within the little bit of amount of time that she has and Marissa and, and Representative Misha, of course, uh, we are honored to have a person, a, a woman, an amazing woman who is a part of the Asian community to speak out against the hatred and the brutality that has 
occurred in the community. And so, Representative Misha Maynard, your thoughts on the recent incident attack that took place? I'm saddened by it. Um, look, five cents or however much you put in the coin box, I'm saddened by it. And when I initially heard it, I tell you, one thing that concerned me immediately when they showed the clips on television, the name of one of the spas was Young Asians Massage. And just from a perspective of trying to empower women um, of all races and ethnicities, if I was a city official, I would have not even allowed that name to go up because the mere um, distinguishment of a young woman, period, um, to me invites other problems, right? So that was one concern of mine just because I am so focused on crimes against women in general. And I have a lot of friends. We have some fellow legislators that are also Asian American and hearing the anguish from them from a cultural perspective was disheartening to me. And it's just a sad time, but I can tell you over the weekend at Liberty Plaza in the Capitol, and Marissa, I'm not sure if you were able to attend, but it was such a beautiful memorial service. It was so peaceful. It was a perfect send off um, to those families. And one of the things that they asked us to do is not to mention um, the victims' names just to give them a little um, peace during this time. You know, can you imagine one having a family member to pass away and then to have the media um, scrutinizing you? So, you know, I think that that was an important point to make. And I've had several people, New York Times and lots of other people to contact me because where the incidences happened in Atlanta were neighboring to my district. And I found myself educating them on how do you discuss these women? And I got those talking points from Representative B. Wynn um, because she's a lot more familiar with the Asian culture from that perspective than I am. And so I'm taking her lead and other people's leads instead of taking my own lead. Okay. All right. And uh, Marissa, your response to her assessment. Uh, no, I, I think, thank you so much for, for saying that. And, you know, like I'm um, standing in solidarity because I think that's definitely one thing uh, that I have in mind um, is that, you know, th there's a lot of different discussions and there are a lot of people with different opinions, even within our own communities, because even within the Asian community, it's like, you know, you just can't group them all as like Asians because uh, certain groups right now are also more impacted than others. And like, even one of my friends was actually just like directly affected by this as well, too. Um, so for, for me, it's, it's, it's really for uh, like, so I grew up in Thailand before I moved over to Atlanta for around six years. And I feel like there's also a very uh, distinct difference between um, Asian Americans as well as Asians uh, from um, uh, outside of America, the diaspora, and that comes over because we have this conversation a lot. Um, my husband is uh, 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 Asian American. 
And for me, growing up outside of America and coming in, uh, the first thing when, when I come in, I, I don't have that sense of, you know, my, my country is homogenized. So I never had to feel like uh, that, that type of like identity or threat coming outside from the U.S. until I was here. And then when I got here, I became way more aware through conversation with friends, families, and even personal um, like uh, experiences where that, wow, this is really a reality. <laughs> I, I would say this is a reality that people are living in. That when I'm not in this particular country and I'm looking at it in the news, you know, the the people are looking at it from a perspective where it's very detached. When I came over to this community, and then you know, I talked to my husband about how he says that, oh yeah, you know, like a couple months back or so, he was up in uh, certain counties, and then there are people like staring at him, and he felt very threatened as well too. Uh, or even the fact that like when I'm talking to a lot of my friends who are black as well too, we have this uh, uh, topic about you know minorities, uh, like when you're a part of a certain group of minority, uh, and 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 certain things happen, like why are we going to be you know fighting together or are we fighting with each other as well because i'll see a lot of things that come up they're like oh well this is person of this race this is a person of that race and uh, um like honestly even with my own family which is a very different generation they also have they don't they don't they're not here in america so for them this topic of uh, like the asian american topic is a very like oh my god that's horrible do you want to come home that's the first thought that they have is like why don't you just leave America? You know, it's, it's very scary. But when it came to also like something like the Black Lives Matters movement, they had a very different perspective of it as well, too, when it come out. And I'm not trying to move the topic away from what is currently at hand, but I still think that it really goes hand in hand uh, with the fact that, you know, you can interchange anything in the between of the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement. Or right now, the spotlight is on us. But there's always going to be a divide where it shouldn't have to matter to you to 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 uh, it shouldn't have to happen to you for it to matter to you. And in this particular part, when we're talking about, you know, especially Asian women, and I've talked to a, a lot of my friends and some I've also invited here, but there's also been some miscommunications initially. Um, apologies to Sean as well, too, where um, like uh, this, there is this is a period of hurt as usual, like anytime something like this happens, it is a direct effect on the mentality of people who feel like, why are we being singled out at this particular point for not doing something? And I feel like this is something that happens to a lot of different people as well too. But in this particular moment, uh, like it's, it's never been anything new or weird as a nation woman to like, especially when I came to the US as well too, to feel like, okay, uh, uh, certain people do feel that they're they're kind of entitled to treat you a certain way until they know you uh, like either they know you as a person or they don't and then um you're kind of like almost like a stereotype that that is out there as well too so uh in our community we we are like uh there there are a lot of different reactions where sometimes we go and uh, to the extremes as well say like hey you know we're not the model minority however uh, i think one of the things to keep in mind and this is for my own personal, not say I represent anyone else, is that the generation gap between the family I live in is that the, if you're in America, it's all about freedom. It's about individualism, you know, the freedom of speech. Um, where I come from, where my parents are, you know, survivalists, the first mentality they have is keep your head down, don't say anything, and um, uh, a little bit more of repression of the hurt 
for the for for some some survival reasons as well too and a lot of people in my generation are like we got to come out you know we got to protest we got to make our voices heard while my my parents generation is like keep your head down you know like let it pass like it, 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 it it's it's just an internal struggle it's a constant internal dialogue where it's almost like a golden chain because you're, you're like a lot of times a lot of families are very uh single like, like it's very uh a unit so therefore we really love each other so much and the same with when we see attacks on elderly people <laughs> uh, for me it, it, it might not be in atlanta but that really hits hard because i really care about my aunt or my like older relatives and stuff too and i feel like they, they they don't have a chance to fight back and they've always been keeping their heads down so that they don't you know face this kind of problem even though in some respect that is uh, could, could be a disservice to uh, a larger community at wide as well too. And um, for, for me, it's just that like the, the not just this uh, attack in um, Atlanta as well too, but this uh, targeting of the elderly, uh, I, I feel like that's just, that's just like beyond reason of anything at all too. Uh, but in this particular respect, when news came out about Atlanta as well, too, it was where they were like, oh, this is a about, you know, sexual stuff. It's not a race thing. However, you know, we don't have to see things that are black and white or separated. Like when we talk about why uh, this individual feels like they associate like uh, sexual urges, especially enough to go to three different locations that I seem like for me, I, it just still seems very targeted as well, yeah. too then i don't feel like that's a separation between like it you don't have to actually engage and say oh this is racism but i feel like racism is a spectrum it exists in different like it's it's almost like a weaving of the cloth where in in different weight uh, threads it's we're there whether it be more here or less there but for me it's like there is still reasons why certain things happen and i mean we should definitely be having more dialogues and taking a look at you know what can we do to make it better uh it, it is definitely my feeling wow wow well, that, well thank you so much uh marissa for just s expressing yourself and and this is why and let me just say this also before i switch it over to representative misha Maynard because she only has a few minutes with us uh let me just say this it would be a disservice to have and orchestrate this platform without having a member of the Asian community because we could have just been still talking about this tragedy without somebody being a part of the Asian community. And I feel like in my heart of hearts, we never had the opportunity or the platform to really invite a person of influence or just a, a person in general from the Asian community to speak out against these type of things. And Marissa, you are 500% correct. I feel like in today's society in America, we do need to highlight the uh, adversities and different issues that are happening in the Asian community. A lot of times it, the community gets overlooked because the media and, and some of us work in the media, we tend to highlight things that are happening in the black community or, you know, in other communities. And so I feel like when hatred hits another community, everybody feels it. And, and it is just paramount that we have these kind of platforms to invite other people into the community, not to take away from 
our community or from other people's communities, but we always want to open the door for people of different nationalities and races to come into the community and shed some light and educate people on different things that are happening because some of us don't know or or may be ignorant to uh, facts that are missing or some things that the media doesn't show us or tell us about what's going on in this particular part of the world. You know, it's one thing for a certain type of media platform to say this or to paint this picture of this particular community being what it is. But what about opening a platform to those to have those people of the community come in and really tell their own story or tell their own truth so that way we can be even more educated on what's going on in other parts of the world. And so Representative Misha Maynard, when you hear that assessment from a member of the Asian community, what thoughts go through your mind as a person who is in power? Because I know there's a lot that it's only so much you can do because you're only one person, but at the same time, you are in the position of power to help make those changes. What What's going through your mind? Um, agreeing with her. So uh, my, doc, my doctorate work actually touched on a little bit of ethnicities in the workforce. And so I've done some research just on the culture of Asian Americans, especially women, in regards to a submissiveness um, just by sheer part of the cultural culture. Would you agree with that, Marissa? Yes. And so with that, um, that just means that as a Black woman, uh, we may have grown up with some leeway to express ourselves however we wanted to. But a lot of times Asian women were not given that, you know, it's part of the culture to not speak up. And in particular, that that's that's bad when it comes to relations with men, because that's how you have crimes against Asian women, because that's the culture. And I don't I'm, I'm speaking from a theoretical <laughs> um, standpoint, but if I'm off target at any point. Marissa, please let me know. Um, but I have spoken at length about this with some other friends that are Asian and they have corroborated this. Um, so I like the fact that she brought that up um, because that is an important piece to talk about. And from a policy perspective, uh, one of the things that I did do, a bill that I did introduce this year, it didn't go anywhere but it is minority languages um, in particular for Asian Americans um, for elections. And so that was a concern to me. In District 56, I actually have one of the highest percentages of Asian Americans within the Midtown um, Atlantic Station and Georgia Tech campuses. And so Asian American priorities are a priority of mine because I have such a big percentage and I wanted to do them justice with um, making sure that in case somebody was not a um, fluent in English, especially during the voting process, that they would have the opportunity to have voting material in their native language. So, I, you know, 
I am, <laughs> I feel like I'm already there. You know, the rest of the world may not have been there, but. No, um, thank you so much for that, Misha. Because um, from a different perspective of, you know, Asians coming in from another country as well, too. I've known so many people who have struggled with visa issue, not because of the fact that they don't get sponsorship or anything like that, but because there's like such a, you know, even with their lawyers as well, too, the legal jargon, the understanding between the whole process of like, oh, how to do things. They've lost their opportunities because the papers were submitted wrong or like the 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 the, the period of where like they're supposed to submit their documentation was like uh, not like unclear and stuff like that. Like I even submitted my, my stuff for a visa to, uh, to Canada, uh, to the office of New York. And then um, they actually moved their office over, didn't tell us. And that visa got like it, it came back to like a month, almost a month later. And then I had to do an express. And, and, and before I got on the plane one day, that was when my visa arrived and I had to pay double the amount that I would have paid because of that little discrepancy, even though on their website, it did say that, oh, this is the information you should send it to as well, too. So I feel like, you know, uh, that language thing, that is a really big thing because people from my generation, you know, like the, the the younger folks that can speak and understand things very well, is very easy for them to understand at all. Like, the, like uh, pick up on policies, be more active, what to do. People of the older generation, a lot of times, some have not integrated. I know people who have been here for like decades and do not know how to speak English still. So that does uh, increase also like a the outreach portion of it. Yeah. Okay. And before you go, yeah, go ahead, Representative. Um, jump in real quick, if you don't mind. Just because she said that, I it would be remiss of me not to bring this up for your listeners and for Marissa. Um, we have several um, minorities that are freshman legislators, and one is Representative Zulma Lopez, who happens to be an immigration attorney. And so with that being said, a lot of her priorities are related to immigrants because this is her specialty. And I would like to just give her information, um, her phone number, and this is her office phone number here at the Capitol. It is 404-656-0298. And it's Representative Zulma, Z-U-L-M-A. And last name Lopez, L O P E Z. And for those that want to get in touch with me, my phone number is 404 656 0126. And that's Misha, M E S H A, Maynard, M A I N O R. And I want to give just one other person's information. Sure. He's going to kill me. <laughs> for doing this, but he he has transcribed, he's Asian American, he's a freshman, he has transcribed so much legislation for his community. Um, he actually met with President Biden and President Biden and Mayor Lance Bottoms asked him for his resources. So I want to just make sure that I am going to give his information out as well. And his name is Representative Marvin Lim. So that's M-A-R-V-I-N and then Lim, L-I-M. And his office phone number is 404-656-0314. 
And if anybody is interested in learning anything about what's going on at the Capitol, the main website is www.legis.ga.gov. Okay, Thank and that, that is legis.ga.gov. Correct. You All got right. it right. Okay, perfect. Well, Representative Misha Maynard, I, I know you got to go, and I sincerely apologize that we couldn't have you on the live line much longer. We had some technical difficulties coming into the podcast uh, this morning, but we definitely would love to have you come back on to touch on any and other pressing issues that are happening in the community. So we really appreciate you and for giving out this information. Thank you. And Marissa, please give your friend that was directly affected my condolences. And I'm so sorry during this time. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Hey, All right. Take care. All right. That was Representative. Misha Maynard, member of the Georgia House of Representatives for District 56, to uh, take time out of her busy schedule to join in with us right here on the Beat Break Morning Show as we discuss not only uh, the different things that are happening in Georgia, but also the recent attack that happened a few days ago at a massage spa that uh, killed uh, multiple lives and affected and, and made such a very huge impact to the asian community and i thought it was just only right that we have a show surrounding that and other items that are on the table to discuss this morning on the beat break morning show and that's why i, I wanted to bring back marissa on the morning show uh, to speak out about it because we definitely need to uh, have a important dialogue uh, on this particular matter uh, and as well as exchange and give our information to our listeners and to our viewers that are watching this and they telling themselves at home or on their way to work or on their way to school, they telling themselves, Hey, I need to get involved. I, I need to be proactive and not reactive much longer. Like I really need to get involved because this type of thing can happen to everyone. We're used to hearing Dozens and dozens of mass shootings all the time that has occurred, not just only in the city of Atlanta, but also in other places around the country. Uh, but in the climate that we are in right now, it's, it's just like it's we, we need to have more and more dialogue and conversations in order to affect change. And so I want to bring on Officer Andre Franklin, Officer Andre Franklin on the live line. Uh, he is a officer for the Atlanta Police Department. And um, thank you so much for being patient with us. Uh, like I said, we had some technical difficulties earlier, but we really appreciate you for being on the live line. How are you doing today, officer? I'm doing good in yourself. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we still have podcaster Ron Glaze and DJ Rowland with me, as well as Marissa uh, animator and also a member of the Asian community. And so, um, Officer Franklin, or do you want me to call you Officer Franklin or Officer Andre Franklin? What what what, what are we doing tonight? What are we Officer doing today? Frank Officer Franklin. Officer Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Officer Franklin, uh, what goes through your mind when you hear the exchange between our representative of Georgia, uh, Maynard and Marissa, talking about the the recent event 
uh, recent incident that happened in Atlanta, especially as an officer, uh, you work on the beat. You you come across these type of things all the time, and it's it's it is a, a very very intense job. And you know what goes through your mind as an officer when you hear these type of things? Uh, it's always it's always heartbreaking when when you see people to do uh, individual things such as this. Uh, first, first I would like to say that just, you know, I mean, we all have differences as far as cultural differences, but being in the 21st century, I think we're all above that. And before I, before I will say the Asian community, I will say they are human beings first and they deserve any type of, they deserve the, the, the best treatment, A1 treatment as any culture would ever, ever have or any, any culture out here. So with that said, it, it's it's really heart wrenching because you know as a as a beat officer, and when I first came onto the department 18 years ago, mm-hmm. and they made us fill out a form of why you want to become an officer, and one of those things was to protect the citizens of of you know in my community and make sure that I could be a resource to them as well as them being a resource to me. So it, it it's uh it's it, it's like I have this sixth sense like. I mean, even though that happens somewhat out of my jurisdiction, it's like I feel obligated to do something, you know, and that's just in my that's just the way I feel about the situation. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, yeah. now, DJ Rollum, I know you just came on not too long ago and uh, I, I know you have some questions that you would like to ask to uh, both Officer Franklin at, and as well as Marissa that we still have on the line. And, of course, we have Ron Glaze on the line. And so the flow is yours uh, in the meantime, between time, DJ Roller. Well, the thing that comes to my mind is with when Marissa was talking about her family and how some of the uh, Asians, um, if I'm incorrect, please correct me, um, how the older generation um, is has keeps their head down. And when I hear keep their head down, it's kind of like um, uh, in, it's a similarity, but it's like an indirect thing, like how, what blacks went through during segregation time. We basically, uh, according to what my parents said and everything, or, or I've read, is that even though it was wrong by separating, you know, it was still, um, we had to accept it. And that's what the similarity came in to me when Marissa was talking. I'm like, it's, 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 it's a, a lot of similarities going on. And it just blows my mind how um, they haven't gotten the respect as of yet when they came to America um, for the Asians. And, and I'm like, when, when are we going to get this together? And, and then we having all this domestic violence um, and the, the biggest one I keep thinking about is the one in Las Vegas. Um, just r- guy, just random, just shooting folks from a hotel room and whatnot, just shooting. And they still don't have no reason why for that, because he killed himself. And, and now we had this most recent uh, incident. Um, and he says that uh, it's a, a sexual addiction. And I'm saying to myself, when I heard that, I said, that's nothing but a big old lie. It's a lie. You know that that he said that because you targeted just those um, ethnicity people. I'm like, why are you just doing that? If you go, uh, uh, it, it just blows my mind, and I'm, it's, it, it hurts my heart that that um, lives were lost, but then 
Asian lives were lost for doing what they came here to do. Most of them came from an, um, some Asian country, whatever it is, and they make it and, and create a business to make a dollar and everything. And then the one that is going to turn 50 this upcoming Thursday, I'm like, it, Marissa, my, my condolences are, are, are to, to them, man. It's, it's, it just hurts my heart that, that it has happened. So that's why I was like really listening and, and said, we are going through this. We have, well, at least the blacks have gone through this through a different type of way back in the um, civil right era. And, and now with the black lives movement, because, because of, uh, and, and officer, um, you, you, I know you, I have a question on that one to you about it. Cause we're, gonna, we're not going to get off the, the subject, but now we got these, uh, violence against from from police to to civilians and my question to you officer is that um and since you have our um ethnicity you know uh being african-american man how does how has it been for you in the past year in the city of Atlanta, especially from um summer of 2020 um how how's it going is it about the same is it do you see any difference or anything are you saying as as far as me as an individual? Yeah, as you as an individual, yes. Right. As an individual, I, I see it as somewhat of the same, but at the same token, I see it uh the, the climate is different, of course. We have a lot of we have an influx of uh, a lot of people implants that come into the city. Uh the as you know, Atlanta is an international thoroughfare. You know, you have the I-85, you have the you know, the 285, you have the I-20. So we have so much, so many variables of things going on within this city. This city has been considered like the little New York for the past 45, 40 to 45 years because it's always been the city of change. It's always been the city of growth, especially with, you know, a, being a Southern city. Uh, as far as me, as far as me individually, it's uh, like I said, as far as me being on the beach, nothing has really changed because from my understanding and since my day one, on the beat, and that is you treat people the way you want to be treated. Simple as that, you know. And 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 people will respect that. So, I mean, I don't see it. It's there hasn't really been too much of a difference, you know, as far as how the the well, the police citizen encounters. My under my, what gets me and what kind of gets under my skin, along with other officers and my other comrades, is when something happens in Nevada, which is like two thousand miles away, and it affects us. And especially it's 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 like a double-edged sword, it's like a triple-edged sword, if you will, because I haven't done anything in that name. You, you can't generalize or stereotype. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. We going into the 21st century, 21st century going forward, our our brains need to be a little bit more, we need to be a more think of broad of broader perspectives as far as just being just just self, you know, just just thinking just one way. You know, it's, it's, it's so many variables and things nowadays. You know, each one of us here on the panel, we have different ways of thinking. Um, the way things happen, I mean, the way things happen in our lives made us who we are. So we can't just put, we just can't put each and every one. You have to treat uh, each individual is the same. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did you want to add something? Or... DJ Roland or, or Marissa? Uh, no, nah, no. Nah, I mean, I hear what he's saying, and, uh -huh. and I and I actually agree with what he's saying. 
um, from my perspective. And, and uh, um, I was thinking about when, when Marissa has, has spoken as well, I was thinking about my son, cause my son has learned um, the Chinese language um, at an earlier age. And he learned it for about six years. He's not fluent in it, but he knows some of it. And then his his uh, liking is um, he wants to be an animator, or I think it's animator, something dealing with drawing. <laughs> I'm not, I know I'm saying it wrong, but but he knows. But he, that's what he wants to get into, and he he wants to. He if he could, he say he wants to live in Japan. That that's that will be like his dream goal to live in Japan, and and that's very 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 rare for a black um, man, black young man wants to live in Japan, you know, because um, of his his creativity, and and uh, I'm just proud of him on that, and 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 uh, we he affiliates uh, with the uh, Asian community because one of his good friends is is from that uh, uh, Asian community, and. Um, she, she. I mean, I ain't really met her. I hopefully I can meet her later this year uh, for his for his birthday. But uh, she, she, she knows the difference and whatnot. And and I'm proud of her doing you know what she's doing because she's about to attend school and do her thing. And that's, that's, I think that's she wants awesome. to be an engineer. I'm like, wow. <laughs> that's awesome, Sean. Like, please connect your son with us later because we have our Absolutely. animation society in case, you know, he can go into like exploring more of the career path as well. And actually, like one of my, our, our good friend and um, Lisa Farrell is actually doing a podcast on the black identity in anime. So really? you, might, you might be interested in that as well, too. I'll, well, I'll I mean, that's nice. not my thing, but I definitely would love to pass it on to him because I'm always trying to network to get things together and, and he appreciates me on um networking to get other things for him to to explore because nice. he definitely would love to to get into that nice nice they see we already making a connection already that's what it's all about yeah. <laughs> on, on, right. a, on, a, on a positive note back mm-hmm. into the uh scheme of things i want to circle back to one word that officer franklin used a few moments ago and that was international I spoke to you offline, Marissa, that uh, like I expressed to one of your colleagues, Atlanta has transformed into an international city. And um, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to put this show together. Uh, Even before the massacre in the spa has happened, we have been getting so many news reports and so many stories all the time about robberies, assaults, murders, that's been happening, especially in affluent places. I'm going to give you a backstory. Uh, so for those that know me, like Rolum and Ron Glaze, I am a native of Atlanta, born and raised. Georgia Baptist Hospital, just to be specific. <laughs> I was born in Georgia Baptist Hospital in 1984. Uh, and as a kid growing up on the south side of Atlanta, I would ask myself, whenever I see something that was questionable, or violent or I hear something that was violent and it hit home I would ask just as a child like why is this happening in my city why is this happening in where I live now we can go all the way back to the Atlanta child murders in the 80s Uh, a, a fellow colleague of mine told me that well Sean violence has already had, had there's always been violence in Atlanta 
before the city which is known now as the international city uh violence has already has always been atlanta has always been violent before the 1996 olympics and so it just become over the years as we progress as we progress with atlanta being a international city and being what it is it's like we 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 put this persona out there to so many people to a lot of people that are not from Atlanta and may not be from Atlanta we have held this image that Atlanta is either the millennial city or the city of dreams and the black mecca black hollywood Tyler Perry clubs and and everything else but i feel like we don't really touch on a lot of the social ills that has occurred in Atlanta for quite some time. Now, Ron, you are from Atlanta yourself as well. You are from the ATL. I see you with your ATL ball cap on and I got on my ATL jacket as well too, man. Uh, have you always felt that way, you know, growing up in Atlanta? Like Atlanta has changed a lot, but it's not like the Atlanta that I was born to know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and since we're shot down hospitals, let me just say I'm a proud Grady baby. See, somebody um, in this chat was going to say Grady. I knew it. <laughs> somebody in this chat, somebody in this podcast was going to say I'm a Grady baby. <laughs> grew up uh, grew up in Zone 3. Um, I lived uh, literally just uh, a few houses away from Thomasville. Uh, then later we moved over to Lakewood. And I lived, um, I could walk through the woods by my house and be on the football field at, at uh, Price Middle School in Carver Homes. Mm. Um, so uh, back to your question, Sean. Um, of course, as a child, um, I didn't necessarily catch on to everything that was going on around me. Um, simply because I was a child, I didn't understand the way of the world at that age. Um, I do remember hearing police sirens a lot. Um, gunshots a lot. Um, and then when the crack epidemic hit, um, things got really crazy. Um, our house in, uh, in Atlanta on Woodland Avenue uh, was broken into like three times. Um, and uh, one time we were all at home when it was broken into. So um, I do remember uh, a young man uh, that went to school with my sister uh, being murdered because of uh, drugs. There was a young man uh, whose mom is a uh, Georgia representative. Um, I, I can't remember her. I'm Brenda Muhammad, uh, representative mm -hmm. in the state of Georgia, mm -hmm. um, for the state of Atlanta, rather. I'm sorry. Uh, Brenda Muhammad, her son was murdered in front of my elementary school um, mm -hmm. over an argument. So, yeah, the violence has always been there. Um, I agree. Um, you want to go back further than, um, say, 1996 or even the Atlanta child murders. Um, I was, uh, you were one of the people that brought to my light um, the story of Black Wall Street in, uh, in Oklahoma. Well, doing more research, I found that Atlanta had its own massacre. Um, and, or I, I, it may not have been Atlanta, but I know here in Georgia. And through there, I found out that there were several more instances of that throughout the United States that we don't know about. 
So true enough, violence has always existed. Um, Unfortunately, we are the most intelligent, dumbest form of life on this planet because we're the only creatures on this planet who find new and creative ways to hurt one another. Um, (laughs) And and that's unfortunate. Um, As a matter of fact, I didn't see any sort of, uh, and not to sway off a topic, but I didn't, I didn't deal with any sort of, of uh, racial issues growing up in Atlanta. In school in Atlanta, uh, from kindergarten until eighth grade, um, I was often one of only maybe a handful of white kids in class, but I never had any issues. Nobody ever bullied me. Nobody ever treated me bad, nothing like that. Well, fast forward to when I was 15 and we moved down to South Fulton County in Palmetto, Georgia, and I started attending Creekside High School, um, that was a whole different world for me. I was catching all sorts of stuff from other white students. Mm. Um, I was, I have literally had my life threatened before. I've been told that uh, people were going to burn crosses in my yard. Now, none of that stuff ever happened, but I never dealt with anything like that in Atlanta. So my eyes were really opened to things when we moved down to South Fulton County. Um, and I, I meant to lead with this, uh, Marissa, I, I, so forgive me, but I just wanted to offer my condolences, uh, to your friend that was, uh, directly effect, affected by the massacre as well. Um, so please forgive me for not acknowledging that at the very beginning of my, uh, of my conversation here. Um, and to double back a little bit to something, uh, DJ Rollum said, uh, talking about Asian, uh, people coming to this country. Um, I would just like listeners to do some due diligence and do some research. Um, one such book is called Before Columbus. Um, there were Asian and African people visiting what we now know as America long before Columbus arrived here. 500 years before Columbus, the Vikings were here. So this, this audacity, if you will, by, by Eurocentric people, um, in this country, and I catch a lot of flack for saying that, but the audacity of Eurocentric people in this country uh, needs to be humbled, in my opinion, um, because we, we have to realize that um, we arrived as an aggressor and we continue. When I say we, I mean people of Eurocentric uh, descent. Um, we came to this, this landmass as an aggressor. And we continue to be an aggressor. Now, that doesn't befall all of us. I'm, I'm very against that stigma that um, all, we, all white people hold some sort of hatred towards other people. I don't. Um, DJ Rowland, my son as well, is, is uh, deeply influenced by uh, Asian culture, specifically the Japanese culture. Um, he, he fell in love with Pokemon at a young age. He and I were both using... Um, I forget the name of the app now, but Duolingo. Pokemon Go? <laughs> to learn Japanese. <laughs> and at the time, I worked for a company, a freight company that was Japanese. And I, I had one particular coworker who took me under her wing and kind of taught me some more things. Because with Duolingo, you get the, the, the proper way of saying things. And none of us speak in the proper way that we, that we should. We always slang or whatever. And she was teaching me how to have kind of a conversation in Japanese. And my son, when he was 10, uh, the very first thing put on his, his 
Christmas list was a trip to Japan, which I'm still trying to make happen. Um, now to, to swing back around to what happened at the, uh, at the massage parlors, um, I think there's been a stereotypical stigma placed on those uh, certain spots of business. That's not to say that some of that stuff doesn't exist. I know of people, and this isn't a case of my friend. I'm, <laughs> I know of people that have gone to places like that and have received services that are illegal. So I know that stuff exists, but automatically everything you saw when this happened was, oh, it's an Asian spa. You know what they do there. And I think that's, that's really unfortunate and that's really disrespectful. Um, but it's, it's what America seems to thrive off of, the stereotypical images of everything that's not like what looks like you. And um, it, it's unfortunate. I agree with the officer. We're in the 21st century. We ought to be able to move past a lot of that. Unfortunately, one of the things I try to do with the Wrestling With My Thoughts podcast, and a lot of people say that I'm part of the problem, but I keep talking about things from the past. Because to understand our present, we've got to know what our past was. Exactly. How that past directly affects our present. And how if we don't correct those issues, if we don't deal, I, I have a lot of, and I don't mean to get on my own soapbox here, but I have a lot of family and friends that push back on me when I start talking about white supremacy and the white supremacy power structure that does exist in this country. Now, we can argue about it all day long, but the fact is that it does exist. When I talk about that, they see me as part of the problem, and all I want to do is bring that issue to the forefront so that we can then begin to have a conversation so that situations like what happened this past week, where what, I think eight people lost their lives, doesn't have to happen. Um, and nobody wants to have those conversations. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about what the white power structure represents. Nobody, at least people that look like me, don't want to have a serious conversation about white privilege because their belief of white privilege is that if I walk into business, I'm just going to be given whatever I wanted or that I haven't worked for what I've got. It's all been given to me. That's not what white privilege is. White privilege is me the uh, Officer Franklin, DJ Rollin, Marissa, and you, Sean, we can all walk into the same store. Mm-hmm. More often than not, Sean, DJ Rollin, and Officer Franklin are going to be followed and watched. I'm going to be given free reign. Marissa will probably be, be watched. Um, uh, forgive me, uh, Marissa, but I don't know too much about the anti-Asian uh, sentiment that exists in this country outside of this, the very few conversations it, yeah. that I've had. It's it's a little bit, uh, if it's for women, it's a little bit more on the fetishing side where you should be taking stuff as a compliment instead of like for, there's a lot of times that for us, it's like, you know, we want to say we're not comfortable with something, but we don't dare say it in case we get killed. Um, mm. <laughs> there is a little mm. bit of that aspect. And and that's, that's what I was going to say earlier. Thank you for mentioning that. I, I, I think that and this is just my personal observation or thought process. I think that the reason a lot of people are pushing back on the stop Asian hate campaign is because for so long, the Asian community uh, and Asian American community has been quiet. 
um, they haven't spoken up. But I do know of friends who tell me that, that it exists. I've got a friend that was born in Grady Hospital. As a matter of fact, it, from what I understand, the first Vietnamese American born at Grady Hospital. Mm. Um, and he's told constantly to go back to his country. So yeah. it, it exists. And so I think a lot of the reason that people are pushing back on it and saying this isn't a race thing, quit trying to make it a race thing, um, is because for a long time, the Asian community has been quiet. And like any any people that have been oppressed or targets or bullied, when they begin to speak up for themselves, the people who are not necessarily them themselves, but the group of people that they belong to that have been those oppressors, that have been those bullies, they start to say, oh, would you just be quiet? It's not that serious because they haven't been the victims of it. They've been the perpetrators, sometimes unbeknownst to them, but they've been the perpetrators. Yeah. Ron, may I interject? Um, yeah, I think this is the one thing is, you know, what for me, when I talk to my parents about like the Asian um, violence or the Black Lives Matter, they I feel like the reason that you know, they respond more to the Asian American hate, not only because it directly affects them, but because they recognize what it looks like. Because like when you don't recognize what something looks like to a certain community and uh, you don't get that conversation or community kind of thing, it's it's very hard for them to put in the framework of the mind as well too. And I think this this comes into a play where, you know, right now we're talking about America, but when we're talking about globally around the world, racism still exists really a lot too like how when sean was talking about his son going to japan you know it's a hom homogenized type of uh society as well too and i look at the comments uh on on um like you know the facebook's and everything like the ones in america and then the ones that are in thailand i feel like the education portion is definitely lacking like i said before i came to the u.s i did not understand you know the big like the big problems of uh, uh of black life matters because for me like I didn't have any black friends when I was in Thailand whatsoever. Never had the opportunity to and never had like the 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 like the, the things that we see are portrayed on the media. So what the media shows us like in terms of the news or Hollywood, it'd be like, oh, look, it's Dave Chappelle. So there is a caricature in your mind of how certain people look like. And I feel that's the same thing with even the portrayal of Asians in, you know, in the media as well, too. So for me, I feel like, yes, you know, this is like in America, all these things are very prominent. You know, people are being like there. It's, it's there's violence and everything, too. But also on the other end, what, what I'm trying to do on my own is that I'm trying to talk to my parents, you know, I'm trying to talk to my community, translate things into different languages so they can understand a little bit more. Because like when when you see it from a different framework, there has to be understanding across the board as well, too. Not just that, you know, uh, in America, we say we're trying to do this while in Asia, we also exempt racism because of ignorance. So I feel like if we really want to make it, you know, better, it we, we also have to start reaching out of the sphere that we usually are in. We need to go further and we need to actually go into spaces that we might not be used to and get until we get comfortable with it and be able to bring more people into the conversation as well. Yeah. Uh, second half of the Beat Break Morning Show, the Beat Break Podcast on WBS 87FM and also simulcasting on thinkingoutloudnetwork.com, beatbreakradiofm.com. We are discussing a very important topic on violence in Atlanta. If you're just tuning in, I have special guest Ron Glaze as well as Marissa. 
and Officer Franklin, Officer Andre Franklin of the Atlanta Police Department. And a good segue to you, Officer Franklin. Thank you so much for staying on the live line with us. I have a two-part question for you, and based off of what you heard so far from both Ron and Marissa as an officer, you hear and see these movements and these protests, demonstrations happening in Atlanta from Black Lives Matter movement fast forward to the protest demonstrations and the outcry from the Asian community in light of the recent, what I consider a terrorist attack. As an officer for the Atlanta Police Department, are you torn between the call on duty, the call of duty of you doing what you need to do, which is of course is to protect and to serve, but also on the opposite side is I, I see too many of my people and I see these type of things in the Asian community happening. Like I really need to, I feel like I need to do something above this uniform that I have that I wear every day. Are, are you torn between the two as an officer at times? Times at times, because I, you know, <laughs> without being in the uniform, I mean, cause I'm thinking in the process, in the, in the, uh, in the realm of me being an officer, and me turning it off and not being that officer. So I'm looking at it. I'm I am looking at it in both ways. Uh, as far as and that's and that's the thing of, of being an officer. Because as an officer, when we went through the academy, my instructor told me you got to know a lot, son. And what they what he meant was is that they, it, I, I have to be the most resourceful individual in society, and that's what what we have been. So with that said, I look for it's a little bit more to me than just locking up people or whatever the case may be. It's giving people resources because some people, I mean, because I'm into people's lives, into their personal lives that it's I've seen things that people would not begin to imagine and situations that that people wouldn't begin to imagine. I mean, and and be that as it may with um with a lot of you know, police officers, it's more police officers that do things beyond the scope of their jobs as opposed to they don't, as, as opposed, if, you know, uh, as the negative aspect, because there's a lot of officers that do things that's way out of their realm when they're off work, it's, it, they, they give resources to other, other individuals, whether it be money or whatever the case may be. So that is true. I mean, we, as, as a, as a, as an officer community, we have done, especially in Atlanta, um, we have done, we, we, we do a lot as far as trying to help going over and beyond as far as helping out in, in resources, you know, for instance, you know, just, just making a point, I know it's getting off topic, just making a point. Let's say this is a person who's homeless. I'm going to dig, dig, dig and delve, you know, dive into their lives and find out why they're homeless. And then from there we have, uh, within, within our, within the, um, the police department, we have a hope team. And within the hope team, they're another resource for us to find subsidized housing for this for said individual. So my point being is, we're always we're 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 a little bit more than just people who just when it when you talk about the the protect aspect, yes, but we talk about the serving aspect. That's what we that's what that's what the serving aspect is. It's a little bit more than going just locking up people. It's just going over and beyond, you know, going out of the realm of what what policing is you know the intimate breaking down the barriers and walls of society and that intimidating factor between us you know mm -hmm. 
I want to take a moment and I want to stay on you, Officer Franklin. I want to take a moment to acknowledge an article courtesy of the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, on an article that was written last year. And uh, they have it highlighted in the article as Atlanta's deadliest year in decades has city on edge and demanding change. A teen selling water bottles killed over $10.00 to a young man shot at a skate park, a child gunned down on the 4th of July. Their deaths were among the 157 homicides uh, the Atlanta Police Department investigated in 2020, up from 99 in 2019, and the most in more than two decades, which is a very huge number compared to 2019 and the years, the previous years before 2020. Uh, Officer, like, what? Well, your thoughts on that? Um, as a part of the APD, and, and once again, this is courtesy of AJC. As an officer of the law, uh, when you come across these stories and you hear these reports and the numbers of deaths in Atlanta, um, I, you, you talked about what all your organization does in the community, but how does it affect you as an officer mentally and emotionally? Um, Cause I know this is more than just a job, but it can be very, it can affect your emotions, your emotional state, your mental state as an officer. You know, you have officers in, in the organization that come in and, and they do their job and they tell themselves or tell each other, Hey, I'm just trying to, get home safe and sound i'm just trying to get back to the house with my family at the end of the night um but in a city like atlanta and hearing these high rise numbers what does it do to you emotionally as an officer and mentally well it makes it okay mentally emotionally and mentally it makes me it makes me kind of sick a little bit because i want to go ahead and 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 uh want to do more for the want to do more for the community and what we do is, and part of our jobs is investigation. So, our problem, our that what I want to do more, and, and what we'd like to do more is pretty much, you know, give out the give out like I said before, give out those resources. Um, as far as those areas in which that those crimes happen, you want to pretty much do more patrolling in that area per se. So. That's that's one of one app. That's just one of, of of a major aspect of what you of what an officer would do in this in this case. So, yeah, uh, it's it's an everyday thing um, to me as a radio broadcaster. Look, I, I'll work in a news and talk radio station environment when I'm not doing beat break or reach one network. You know, I, I work for other radio stations in the local Atlanta market. I come across stories all the time of violence and terrorism. Uh, And one of those stories is gang violence. And I wanted to have somebody come on to talk about it because he told me years back that he had tried to warn city officials that there was going to be a rise of gang violence in Atlanta. And he got turned away. And then fast forward to now, you hear all these deaths uh, and all these people who have either been attacked or gunned down from gang organizations in Atlanta. 
uh, Ron Glaze, let, let's say you, um, has, has gang violence, the gang culture, has it hit home to you as a native of Atlanta like yourself? Has it hit home to you? Do you know people who either have been a former gang member or have lost their lives from gang violence in Atlanta? Um, yes to both. Um, I've had uh, two friends be lost to, to gang violence. Um, one was uh, an innocent bystander. Uh, the other one was uh, involved in gang life. Um, I myself have never been involved in it, um, mainly because I was too afraid of my dad to get involved in it. Um, but uh, I, I haven't seen it outside of the two friends and outside of a couple of other friends who have either been affiliated or actually involved directly in gang life. Um, it hasn't hit home with me directly. Um, but one of the things I wanted to say while I was listening to, to uh, Officer Franklin talk and listening to you read that article, um, I think it's important to take into consideration that when we look at uh, the violence, um, I was listening to an audio book by the gentleman who created the FBI profiler program, uh, Mr. John Douglas. And he said something that, that really struck a chord with me um, the violence just doesn't happen. Um, now, of course, you have those those moments of spontaneous murder where things just happen. But what I mean by that is is long term and long standing violence just doesn't happen. It's something that is is brewing over time, and it's with that mindset I take a look at the the conversations I've had with people who work within the state of Georgia's program to help at-risk youth and things of that nature. And here's some of the stories they're telling me. Um, it's a multifaceted and multi-layered issue. Um, we live in a society where parents are working more and more hours. So there's less time at home to spend with the children. And my first pro thought process as a father is, well, I can't negate, negate time with my son because if I negate time with my son, then he may get off the beaten path. Well, you've got some parents who can't not work certain hours because they have to pay bills. So you've got a society where parents are working 50, 60, 70 plus hours, you know, six, seven days a week. Now you've got some parents who, who became parents at young ages and just never grew into the responsibility um, and then a big problem I think we have is the stigma of mental illness. Um, I, I think that because people are so afraid to discuss mental illness, these problems will continue to haunt us, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, you know, I, I, I'll be very transparent. I, 2020 was the the hardest year of my life and it had nothing to do with COVID and everything to do with mental illness. As I went through a horrible uh, bout of depression to the point where I had to take short-term disability from work. Um, I'm just now getting to a point where I feel comfortable speaking about that publicly, not because I'm ashamed of it, but because of the, the, the stigmatism. Stigma, thank you. The stigmatism that is associated with it. You're looked at as a weaker individual or um, uh, what have you. And let me just say this, not to go too far off in left field. For folks out there dealing with mental illness, 
You're not weak. You are some of the strongest people that this world has to offer because you get up and you go and you you do every day in spite of everything in your body telling you not to. So I love you guys. I, 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 if I can be a resource, I'll leave my information at the, uh, at the end of the show here. But doubling back to what we're talking about, I think that that plays a great deal into the rise of violence. I think it's directly correlated, less parental supervision um, and, and less parental involvement in the life. Uh, and that means mothers and fathers. I'm not gonna sit here and browbeat men and say that men aren't taking care of their children. It's mothers and fathers. Um, and then you've got the aspect of the potential side effects of that non-involvement uh, manifesting itself into depression, anxiety. Uh, you, if you've got a child coming from a sexually abusive background or a physically abusive sex uh, uh, background, then uh, you've got PTSD involved. And it's just all these things. And then you find a group of people who pledge to have your back, who pledge to love you and give you this, this feeling of power. And so you feel loved and you feel brought in where you don't feel loved with your family, you feel, you feel forgot about. So I understand the appeal, the appeal of gang life initially. I had someone when I was in high school offer me to sell marijuana for them. And just doing quick math in my head, I said, man, I could double my money, even triple it if I play it right. But then I thought of my dad and having to call him and tell him I got locked up. For, for, <laughs> Sound like mine. <laughs> for, for possession and distribution. No. I, uh-uh. I mean, so I, I just say that the allure of having fast money, the allure of getting the girls that you want. And I'm not one of these people that necessarily get off on uh, bemoaning music. Because I grew up listening to NWA. I grew up listening to, to no, the entire No Limit catalog. I grew up listening to Big E, Tupac, all of that. And I think I've been a, a pretty uh, functional member of society. But you do have some people that are swayed by that. That, yeah. that, that seems, that seems, and music, let's, let's be real. Music has a way of affecting you on a, on a exactly. soulful level, if you will. That's right. That, than video or, or, or movies do. Think about it. You play music. My son was like one year old, one or two years old. I played Bombs Over Baghdad and he was moving. Mm. <laughs> you know, so music motivates us in a way that it's almost a spiritual thing. Um, and sometimes that that music can, can motivate negatively. Um, so, you know, I, I, it, there's just a lot of issues to take into, into context. And, and unfortunately, and I'll, I'll end on this note, unfortunately, most people's reaction is just lock them up and throw away the key. And that doesn't solve the problem. Because you, you take an 18-year-old, 17, let's say 16-year-old young man. Um, he's caught with a, a, a felony amount of a controlled substance. He's 16 years old. You send him to jail for the rest of his life or however long he comes out when he's 40 years old. What does he know about functioning in society? Now, I'm not suggesting that the 16 year old man shouldn't be held. A young man shouldn't be held accountable for breaking the law. Uh, you, you do the time or do the crime. You got to do the time if you get caught. So I'm not suggesting that we just let the young man just all right, going about today and, and let him take up right where he left off. But 
I also think it's a disservice to take that 16 year old and put them in the prison system and then release them into society at 40. And the only thing they've known is prison life. And and then people ask why the, why the rates of recidivism are so high. Um, So I I think we, um, I said, I was going to end on this. One one last thing. Um, I think what the state of Oregon did, I think it was the state of Oregon that, uh, decriminalized, not to be mistaken with legalized, they decriminalized all drugs and took the focus away from turning people into career criminals in terms of drug use and are trying to redirect those funds and redirect those people into rehab programs. Will it work? I don't know. Um, Will it be funded correctly? I don't know. I don't live in Oregon, but I at least think I applaud them for taking the steps to get away from just locking people up and throwing away the key that it, 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 we ought to see now that doesn't work. And they're actually trying to try something different. Let's see if this works. And I think hopefully um, for all of humanity's sake, I hope that Oregon will be the example to show us with hopefully crime rates will drop. Hopefully petty thefts will drop. All of that will drop because they decriminalize certain stuff. Now you can, it's legal. Actually, let me rephrase that. It's not legal. You don't get an automatic felony up to a certain amount of cocaine in Oregon. You get basically the, the, the equivalent to a traffic citation. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now if you're caught with the amount over that. Yes. It's still a felony, but if you're caught, I can't remember. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but yeah, you can have meth up to a certain amount and it's a minuscule amount on your person, and it's like a it's like a traffic felony uh, or a traffic citation. But if you're caught with over that, instead of they you, I, I even think then that you don't get the felony, but they start putting you into a rehab system. Mm, tiny tangent. Um, sure. Go ahead, Marissa. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, just it, yeah. No. 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 That's great. Those are great points. Um. Uh. Uh. This is like tiny tangent, but um. Uh, from what you're saying, one of the things that I feel like is always missing inside a lot of these conversations too is classism, because you know when you look at the fact yes. that if you have a yeah. like a, a blue collar crime and you're like okay you get caught you put get put into jail for a very long time but you know you 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 do it to a lot of people then it's fine and then it's almost like heroism if you don't get caught and if you think about you know like the, the generation that sees this right in the media and they're t- asking like oh well you know is it only because you know bad if you get caught then then the the question also becomes like how is it that you know you go on the street you do this kind of like uh like a a performing act or something of of uh like selling drugs or something and you get caught then you you get a a long time in prison but the people who are responsible for manufacturing it you know the people who are distributing and everything and you know that they do exist and they have no repercussion and it keeps like seems like the bad person always wins i feel like in a way there's all there's that little bit of a disconnect where you say my parents growing up tell me i should do the right things however they're not doing the same thing either so like i don't know you know there's a bit of a dissociation there as well yeah i i I agree with that i think classism is a very good point i definitely think classism uh, uh plays a large part in not only uh crime but violence as well Mm. Yeah, I, I want to, and I'm glad that that 
is a great segue into what I was just about to say. And I know Officer Franklin can attest to this. Uh, it, by the way, Officer Franklin, are you from Atlanta as well? Are you a native of Atlanta? Oh, no, I'm not a native of Atlanta. Okay. I'm originally from, uh, yeah, I'm originally from East Cleveland, Ohio, but I moved down here when I moved. So I graduated high school in Montgomery, Alabama, and the rest is history. Okay. You know, DJ Rollin about to ask you what high school in Alabama because he, he's all about the HBCUs. I just know about Tuskegee, man. Just know about Tuskegee. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. It's, it's so funny because I did, I, I went to school at Auburn. And you know Tuskegee is right down the street, so I right. I, I did like a uh, did like you know transit classes. So it's ironic yeah. that you brought up that school. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and um and Ryan, you can even attest to this as well. To go back to Marissa's point on classism, I'm starting to believe that everything is being done systemic wise. Going back to my observation of what Atlanta was and has become. I have seen so much social change and environments change over the past two decades. Uh, I remember when there were public housing in Atlanta, uh, Carver Homes, Techwood Homes, all the other project housing in Atlanta where crime only happened in those areas. You never hear about robberies and killings in Sandy Springs. You never hear killings and murders and crime happening in Cherokee County or uh, it's just so many cities out there like Gwinnett County or Marietta for that matter all the other places that are considered to be the outskirts of Atlanta and fast forward to now someone who um, is a follower on my Facebook page said that Greenbrier Mall is the safest mall compared to Lenox Mall and who would see the day that there would be metal detectors and police officers inside Lenox Mall than it is over at Greenbrier Mall? Uh, I never mm-hmm. saw. I, I never imagined that would be the day. Uh, so same here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and, and then also that fast forward to now with the crime that happened with the eight people, uh, the eight Asian women who have died in the spa. We never saw that coming. We we never saw that coming. But I feel like that incident, along with the other incidents that we have witnessed and and observed over the years, are all connected to systemic racism. And when President Trump, well, forgive me, I don't mean to call him former, former, former. I'm not going to say former president. I'm not even going to say former president. Let's just call it what it is. When Donald Trump said what he said and calling it the Chinese virus, that offended me. And I'm not even of Asian descent, but that offended Mm me. And uh, when he said that, it sparked much more of an outrage to, uh, you know, people of that particular community and motivated people to show bigotry and hate towards the Asian community. Marissa, do you put all the blame on Trump for calling it what it was or like who, who is the blame from your hindsight in that matter? 
I think there's a lot of different factors. Uh, it's definitely an instigation. Is uh, you cannot rule it out for sure. It's 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 in your face. You know, if somebody tells you something that uh, is a uh, someone with power tells you something, there's going to be a group of people who are going to believe it and take it that way. But I also think it's the responsibility of the people engaging in that act as well too. So I'm not going to take that away from the fact that they chose to do what they do. And even if you say you know oh it's a Chinese virus, you're getting mad at Chinese people for this. It doesn't exempt the fact that it there. It's more like taking out anger than actually being angry at any one person. And when somebody tells you where the target is, it's easier to put that way as well too. Because otherwise, why would they be attacking Filipinos, uh, Thais, or whatever without caring if it's Chinese or not? And one of the things I like to say too was that uh, there was a post that I saw going around, like from a Thai person who said their parents say, "Hey, maybe we should speak Thai instead, you know, so that people don't think uh, we're speaking Mandarin." And then the kid was like, "Oh wow, my mom is so sweet that she thinks that the, the, they can actually." Uh, tell the difference between that, but I also think that in a way that is a bit of a validation when you because I'm not going to go around saying I'm not Chinese, even if I'm Thai, because I, I I don't believe like you said you know as a human I don't believe there is any group of people who deserve something like that, and I I am not going to go around saying that just because I'm not of a particular group because I tell you in Southeast Asia even we have this issue where uh, a lot of times we will. You know, in the neighboring countries and everything, there is that ra racism as well, too, where you're like, oh, this is a person from this group, this Asian group. And that that causes a lot of riff in itself, which is like hard to unite. However, like what you were talking about, Sean, is that, you know, when somebody it's puts a target on you, it doesn't matter which group it is. They decide to say, like, oh, this is the kind of group you should go for. There are going to be people who may not have that idea initially that will be instigated by that. So it's like, is there an influence? Uh, absolutely. I think that is 100% influence right there. Uh, but in terms of responsibility, I think there's a lot to go around. And I, 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 I don't like to put it in just one because, you know, anybody can say anything and things will happen a certain way. But I feel there are a lot of different factors that come together to, to create a certain situation um, when, when it does happen. Uh, so, Marissa, let me ask you this. Like, how do you feel or what do you feel needs to change in regards to addressing structural racism from your perspective? Um, from my perspective, well, there are so many things. <laughs> like, it's like Well, for one thing, I feel like this is also happening uh, within segmentation, intersectionalism, not just between race, but between age, where... Uh, the younger generation wants things to happen. And a lot of times they want it to happen right away. So I think in terms of that, there needs to be more patience. Uh, and a lot of the older generation I talk to, and this, I'm, I'm sorry to be generalizing, you know, that's not my point, but um, just to, to try to keep it simple, is that the older generation has lost a lot of hope. Because for me, I feel like um, a lot of times they're like, uh, you know, like in terms of the people I talk to, it's like, this is what it is, you know, like you need to be patient, you can't just come in and change something right away, because that's not how it happens. I feel the dialogue needs to go beyond. And it needs to involve, again, going beyond your comfortable space to bring in people that are not in your six degree of circle. You know, it has to reach beyond that six degree now. If you really want things to come together, even when I talk about animation and the wage kind of system, I don't talk about just Atlanta. I don't talk about just the US. I say it's a global effort where it is, we need to come together in that way. But, you know, 
that's a that's a big plan, right? So you're like, what are the actionable items that can be done? Of course, there are number one, putting out resources and gathering data. And 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 I always start with trying to gather more data about the things that matter to me, where the data is not available. Like when I'm talking about, you know, uh, 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 how, where is this happening? Where is that happening? Can we crowdsource those information to come together to get a better uh, overall like view? other than the one that we just have when we talk to our friends, because that could be misleading, that could be a little bubble. And and I, and I don't say that anybody's experience is invalid, but I, I, on a personal level, operate better when I get a big perspective of how things operate for everybody else as well, too. And in taking that information, now we can start to analyze, you know, like, is this is this is this data supporting certain things? Where should we start looking at um, certain things that are happening? If it's happening more in this particular district, can we send somebody in to actually get qualitative data now of like how why is it happening so much in this particular region? Because just because numbers don't always tell the whole story. Um, and for me, just as an individual, it starts by, you know, when there is an issue, I want to talk to my friends. I want to reach out and say, how do I help? If you have the means of money, definitely donation is one of the easiest way to a a, a, a organization that can actually leverage that is, is a really big thing. Uh, I think visibility is part of it, too. You know, when you go out marching, you you you, you say something uh, that that is definitely part of it. Uh, but also my part that I think is the hardest is that dialogue, the dialogue that needs to be half and outreaching to people that maybe you aren't a part of as well, too. It, 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 it is necessary. And sometimes I always I, I told my friend, you know, sometimes I feel that could be semi suicidal as well, too. But in, 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 in other aspect, it's looking at it in the long term there. It, it might not happen in my lifetime, but I want to create a seed of change that will allow it or somebody else to also carry the torch onward and believing, uh, having the patience to keep doing what I do while like um, also trying to tell people, you know, it's not always hopeless. And if they're tired, put the torch down, like let, let us take on the stuff as well. I'm sorry, it's just going on a- No, 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 you're fine, you're fine. So basically what you're saying in retro, what you're saying in retrospect that there are, it sounds to me you're delivering collaborative ways that Black, Asian, and other people from various communities can work together to support the fight against racial and violence and oppression, right? I would say also tangible to get it up to legislation level is yeah. of very critical importance because, you know, we can talk about community all we want to, but it, it again, if we can get it to a level where it becomes something more like protected law and space. Like I tell you in Thailand, we have the majestic law where if you say something bad about the royal family, you can be put in jail and it's been used in many different ways as well too. That's why sometimes when we say things, we don't say it a hundred percent, but it starts by taking, finding out what the issue is and seeing what different ways like we have in collaboration uh, with different peoples and resources that we have to take it up a step. Mm, okay. Now, of course, not too long ago, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris came into Atlanta. They came to Atlanta to uh, speak to the people and also show remorse to the people who lost their lives and who were affected by the murder, by the tragedy that took place in the massage spa. And we all seen it in real time. Uh, were there anything that stood out to you, Marissa, Ron, and, and Officer Franklin? Was there anything that stood out to you? to where Joe Biden made a very valid point 
or just made you feel like I, I need to continue to I need to do something like I really need to connect and be involved with other people in different communities to help fight against racism and oppression like was there something that stood out to you that Joe Biden said in his speech or that uh, the vice president said in her speech and if so what was that starting with you Marissa so this is thought of I'm sorry again I keep tangenting this is not about what they said specifically but after that uh, I'm telling uh, right now uh, inside of like uh, one of the Asian Creative Network Facebook groups. And this is like a group for like uh, Asians to support other uh, create uh, Asians in the creative field. There's around 47K members in here. Uh, there is a uh, kind of like a petition going out and it's a call on President Biden for emergency safety and relief for the uh, Asian American and Pacific uh, Island uh, community. It's signed by like, I think almost a hundred different organizations as well too. And um, by the uh, uh, director of community relations at hate is a virus. So what, what they're asking for is pushing for the Biden administration for a support for a policy and a proposal that is listed as a funding request to help better support and better uh, protect the uh, community as well as also in solidarity and support of other BIPOC communities as well too. So I think uh, it is, it is encouraging that uh, he's coming out to talk about different things as well, too. But I think one of the things that is a definitely uh, like a driving force is that there are people coming out to say, you know, what can you do better as well, too, now that you have uh, come out to talk about this. And and it, these are I, I just um, sent it to you on the Google as well as well as an anti-Asian right. uh, violence resource. Got it. But it, it, out, it actually outlines of what what the the, the needs are. What, what the, the federal resources should try to uh, put in, uh, into, and also the different communities uh, that, that are uh, in here that have signed to kind of organize as well too. And I'm gonna say this, I was like, one of the things that I think like Asian people are really good at sometimes is organizing things uh, uh, because it's like your parents tell you to go into different fields that are more like accounting, programming or whatever. Uh, so I would say that like in, in terms of uh, leveraging the resource of what needs to happen, it, it's 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 pretty much outlined in there of, of what, need, what, what they think also needs to be done as well too. Mm, yeah. I definitely agree. Uh, it starts with legislation. It starts with getting to the masses, getting to people in power to help push these bills and, and to get these type of bills and policies put into place to help fight against racism and oppression and bigotry and hatred. Uh, that's why for me, you know, growing up, I didn't care too much for politics, but Rollum and everyone else that's on the line, how many times have we heard people say, politics are local everything matters in your city in your area it, it you know voting is also important too all across the board when it comes to the presidential election but we gotta we definitely gotta start on a local level and work our way up towards getting it to be federal and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to bring on representative misha Maynard on the platform earlier so that way she can hear about these type of things and these actionable items that people of the Asian community like Marissa is doing to help make this become federal. Because, it, it, you know, it's easy for President Biden not to take anything away from President Biden and Vice President Harris from saying what they said uh, a few days ago. 
but we got to get those action in place now like next week <laughs> you know or as soon as possible uh and we only have a few minutes left right here on the beat break morning show the beat break podcast a very very important conversation uh ron officer franklin you all saw the speech uh from vice president joe biden and vice, i'm sorry president joe biden and vice president uh kamala harris let's say you ron like what did you what what did you get out of it um well <laughs> setting aside my distrust for politicians at that level um the rhetoric is is good what was said was needed to be said the the things that he talked about uh, need to be actioned, need to be brought into legislation. Um, it it just needs to be tangible. It needs to go from talk to actual tangible. I can put my hands on it legislation, um, and that's across the board. Um, until it becomes legislation, it's all just talk. Um, the unfortunate thing about bills at, at legislation at that level, uh, even at the state level to some degree, uh, it, it's always there's there's always what they call pork tied onto the 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 main piece of the legislation, and then that loses support of one party or the other. Well, if I can't have this, then you can't have that, and um, so I, I just think it, it was it was good. What he said was good. Um, I just hope it comes to fruition in terms of tangible legislation. Okay. Officer Franklin. I think I, 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 Ron stole my thunder a little bit. Even, even Marissa, <laughs> you got what we, in that, in this day and age right now, pol politics, as I call it, that's my <laughs> little new word, politics. And what it is, is it's nothing wrong with the political structure. I mean, as far as just, just, the body itself, or how you know, just politics itself. But my my thing is, it do, it does start with politics in the neighborhood, and then from the from the neighborhood, it does go to the legislation. But also, this is the thing now. From here on out, we need to hold accountable every political figure we put in office, whether it be your council members to the Absolutely. president of the United States. To everyone, that is the issue because we don't hold these individuals accountable for anything. We we think that it was King Obama or King King uh, um, whatever. Uh, uh, we 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 have this misconception in America that we live in a monarchy type of government. Okay, we have this king; he pushes the button, things are great. No, we live in a democracy. So, with that said, the majority rules. So with that said, we need to hold each and every one of our our, our political figures accountable for their actions. Mm. Holding people accountable is a very important key thing and not just letting the politicians or the lawmakers in place do all the work. We, we definitely got to do the work ourselves as well, too, in this day of age. It's more than just going to the ballot box and putting your vote in you we definitely got to do the work as a collective uh only a few minutes left before we close out this part of the show and we get into the dj rolling mix we also got a few other segments to get through in the beat break morning show podcast uh and this question is for everyone but i definitely of course want to direct this question to marissa and uh 
just before we get ready to close out, Marissa, I personally want to say condolences to the people to the people that you knew or the, the person that you love who have been violently affected by the massacre. Uh, families and, and friends and children, we, we don't want that to happen ever, 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 ever again. I know that there are families and people that are still mourning over the deaths of the mothers, the aunties, the uh, nieces, or, you know, someone's sister that lost their life in that type of massacre. And uh, time heals all wounds as days and days and months and months go by. Uh, so it's a very bittersweet moment, but at the same time, um, this brings out education, uh, educating all of us as a people, as a whole, to be proactive in the communities that we're in and to have empathy and compassion to other people that may not look like us or may not come from the same background that we came from. But now it's time to show more empathy and compassion than ever before. I remember times where even on television and I, I spoke reference to television earlier in the podcast that even in TV you see a lot of misconception of Asian community or uh, Asian people on TVs and in movies playing certain type of stereotypes I got to give some kind of credit to ABC, ABC 2020 for doing a special on it however um, the stigmatism to the city name atlanta they called it murder in atlanta uh it's, it's a certain stigmatism attached to that because now people are going to start looking at the city as more than just a city of clubs and partying and sporting venues and entertainment and things of that sort but they're going to remember that city as the massacre that took place in that massage spa um, so with that being said, Marissa, what would you say to anyone who has been oppressed, attacked or hate hated because of their ethnicity and from any form of hate speech made by someone in leadership or just a regular person? What well, what do you what would you say? For one you need to be understanding compassionate but accountability is just as important it's a balanced game so it, it, it like if somebody says something or do something i think even you know for the incident with the spa like what what the community probably also wants to see is the accountability of the person who did the shooting and they need to be held accountable you know there needs to be consequences to the actions carried out not just a vigil not just like a oh sorry this happened but it'll probably happen again type of thing uh and then we'll just say sorry over and over like there needs to be a way for people to recognize that you know it, it, it it's we're being serious about things and I know it is a serious matter as well, too. But also when um, the people, you know, the spokesperson that comes out and talk about it, they need to be educated and they, yes. they need they need to know, like uh, understand, not just like the cultural sensitivity of what they say as well, too. But also, um, you know, sometimes it's almost like not saying anything at all is even better than saying something if you aren't like uh, fully aware of the situation as well, too. Um, but in that aspect, for people who have been hated on stuff else, I think 
it's a lot of people, it, you know, in, in a lot of different situation, we're going to encounter certain things. Um, for the for for certain generations that are are the older ones, uh, I uh, they, a lot of people say you know you just need to be grateful you even have the opportunities. I for 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 those people I want to say yes you know we are definitely grateful but we also have to understand our own worth and value as well too that it, it, it ingrained within us we do feel that it you know it's a great opportunity to be in a country where you have freedom of speech it's a, it's definitely a, a greater opportunity than some of the other countries I've been in. However, that doesn't make it any less that we should just settle for things uh, if we can do and we can make things better. It, it's like if it is within our power, I think that it is uh, something that we should strive for, not just for our generation, but even for a generation that we might not live to see so that, you know, they don't have to go through the same thing that like uh, right, right now that people are going through. Uh, and for the people who don't think, you know, that uh, like certain things are an issue and stuff like that, I think reassessing uh, and really reconnecting and uh, is, is very important with the fact that accountability does need to happen. Uh, so so that uh, the, if, you, if you want people to start healing, you need to acknowledge their hurt. If you do not acknowledge their hurt, they're not going to start healing. And I think that's going to be the first step. OK. All right. Ron Glaze. Uh, 100% I agree with Marissa that um, people have to acknowledge the hurt and the pain of other people. Um, I think education is key. And when I say education, um, not, rely, not relying just on, uh, not relying just on the school system to educate, but um, look beyond the school books. Um, look into, uh, we live in the information, uh, or live in the information age, rather. Uh, we got it at the, at the keystroke uh, there at the computer. Um, we have access to all types of information now to cross-reference and, and whatnot. So I encourage people to do that. And I'm personally big on um, trying to, to put myself in someone else's shoes. Um, when I hear... For instance, Sean, if you were to share with me an experience that you've had, um, I don't, I don't want to just respond to you how I would react. I want to put myself in your shoes and try to understand how Sean felt. And as a human, like Marissa said, as a human being first, would I want to be treated this way? Well, no. Okay, so how do we fix that? Um, to, to any and everybody who has felt oppressed, bullied, um, and, and held down, I would just say, um, stand up for yourself, um, be intelligent, um, move with uh, strategic moves, and um, be willing to educate. That's a big thing. If you find yourself in a moment that allows you to have a teachable moment, teach. Because there are some people outside of, of your race, your culture, your community, or what have you, um, that may not understand certain things. And if they're open to that teach teachable moment, take the opportunity to teach. No, it's not necessarily your responsibility, but it's an opportunity to break one, one breakdown off of that role of systemic racism. Yeah. Um, and last but not least, empathy. Um, it's much easier said than done, but I think if, if we could just get to a point where 
I genuinely, or we genuinely treat other people the way we would like to be treated, so many other problems fix themselves. Um, if, if, I, if I treat each of you the way I would genuinely want someone to treat me, everything else falls into place. So I think empathy is a huge part of it. Absolutely. And uh, Officer Franklin, you go ahead and you give the last word, your last remarks. Lighting time in human history. We have access to the internet. We have access to things that other generations would not have no clue. And I I say again to my colleagues, to my to the panel that they everything they said was on point. And that is we do have to educate ourselves. We do have to, if there is something that I know, I will be happy to share it with Ron and Marissa as well as yourself. Um, we should not withhold information. We should we should learn to bond with each other because it's always been said, no matter what situation, no matter what time in history, no matter whatever's going on, there's always been strength in numbers. Right. There you go. There you have it. Well, DJ Rollum, this has been a very, yeah, this has been a very important conversation, man. Uh, and you know, the funny thing, and I told Marissa this offline that we had planned this show in advance before the massacre and yes, who, who, who would know that this massacre ha would happen around the same time that we were still in the process of putting this show together. And we wanted to be able to combine all the things that have happened in the previous years in Atlanta with the most recent incident at the end of the day, because the reason why is at the end of the day, hate is hate and hate leads to violence and violence leads to more violence. And it doesn't give us no end game. It doesn't give us no result on what action needs to be played, need to be put into place. Um, and if Marissa yourself, if you would allow us to, for the next show, we would love to extend an invitation. I know there were some people we, we were supposed to have from the community as well come on. And it's a very touchy subject. It, it, it's a very touchy subject to where uh, some people of the community felt a little bit reserved from coming on the podcast, but we still want to invite those of the community to still come on and talk about all the things that they want to raise awareness about in the community. This show is not limited to just comedy. Of course, we can joke around and, and have fun, but we also want to be informed and educated. And, and we want that for our listeners as well, too. So I just wanted to let you know um, on behalf of the Beat Break Morning Show that we definitely would love to extend another invitation to have you and your colleagues and your friends and family members of the community to come on the show and raise awareness about other things happening in the community and also talk about the lighter side, the, the, the great things that uh, you and the people in the community, like I said, we had you on the show before because you was in town, you was in Atlanta, you still are in Atlanta, but uh, you had the animation festival uh, that happened in Atlanta and it was such a great time. We had an opportunity to fellowship with a lot of people from different ethnic backgrounds. It was a lot of diversity in the room. And when you, whenever we get out of this pandemic, when the festival happens again, we definitely got to have young Sean, D 
DJ Rollum's son. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> be a part of definitely. that festival. So he can get that so he can get that experience. But I just want to let you know from the bottom of our hearts that we definitely would love to have you and your community back on the show. Thank you, Sean. I'll let them know. I'll let them decide because like again, you know, I am definitely going to extend the invitations and let them make the decisions. Yeah. Um, but also a hundred percent um anytime you guys want to know anything, especially about the creative community in Atlanta, please do connect with us. We're we are one of our definitely our mission is, you know, inclusivity and um a transparency in the animation community. So uh, we're, we're trying to make sure that people understand what, what goes in the industry because we're trying to make sure that it's a sustainable industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, any contact information, social media handles you want to give to our listening audience, websites? Yes, we can put it in here. Okay. Oh there yeah, we so we we have a Facebook community page. We have a Discord um, channel as well too. But uh, 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 on a general basis, this is just you know not outside of the show, but for people who are interested in animation, you can definitely uh, check out our website asifa-south.com, which is an international animation society. Uh, but uh, on, on a general thing, like I said, I came over on my own behalf, not on anyone else's behalf as well, too. But uh, still, I think this is a great resources for people who want to get into the creative industry. Absolutely. And I will give that information in just a few moments. Ron Glaze, where can people follow you and how can they check out the podcast Wrestling With My Thoughts? Sir, thank you for that opportunity to plug the show. Uh, you can find the show on Anchor at anchor.fm forward slash Ron dash G5. You can also find the show on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, so on and so forth. Uh, you can find the show on uh, on Facebook at WWMTENT. Uh, you can find the show on Instagram at WWMT underscore podcast. You can reach the show via email at WWMTENT at gmail.com. Um, I'm open to feedback on any shows you hear. I'm open to comments. I'm open to show, so, show suggestions. Easy for me to say. Um, and if anyone would like to be a guest at any time, I would welcome any of you onto the show um, I, it would be an awesome conversation to have with each and every one of you. So if you ever want to, just reach out to me. All right. Cool. And Officer Andre Franklin, I know you probably do not have a social media account, but you're probably <laughs> one of those that do look at people's social media accounts and uh, catch someone in the act or, you know, do what you do. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, any, any, any final words, any uh, shout outs you want to make? Oh, just uh, just just shout out to my baby girl. She she's uh one years old. Her name hey. is Franklin. Love that girl. She's my little world. Mm. I, I mean, she is. She's the best. She is the best. Love it. Absolutely. Nice. Well, well, hey, we definitely th we definitely thank you, officer, for coming on the the morning show on the podcast. Anytime. And uh, hopefully, we'll bring you back on, and we want to just co uh, continue to create that bridge between police officers and the community. Uh, the city sure. is still on sure. edge and we got to work together. That's right. Yes. That's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I sent you some resources, Sean, if you yes. could share that with your listeners. Absolutely. Later. Thank you so much, Marissa. So we have the websites here, uh, A S I F a slash or dash rather, uh, dash 
south.com. That's A S I F A dash south.com. And we also have uh, L I N K T R period E E forward slash A S I F A south. And we also have the anti Asian violence resources website where people can log online and go to the website anti-asianviolenceresources.carrd.co that's anti-asianviolenceresources.card with two r's.co and another website and well actually it's the facebook site facebook.com forward slash stop a a P-I-H-A-T. You hear me do a lot of spelling, but I will post it on the website. <laughs> I will post it on BeatBreakRadioFM.com uh, for those that want to click on there and get more information about these resources. Marissa, thank you so much. We really thank appreciate you. your time, and um, hopefully we'll have you back on again, and we're going to continue to uh, be a supporter of the initiatives and in the, in the movement. And once again, our thoughts and prayers go out to you and your family and friends as you all continue to deal with this troubling time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ron Glaze, we appreciate it, man. Big homie. Make sure to have us on your podcast one day. Yeah. yeah absolutely, man. I I, uh, I I would definitely be reaching out to you. I uh, would love to sit down with you. I, I mean, the conversations we used to have after meetings, man, that lasted two, three hours. We need to have some of those conversations on the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like Mario Watts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're hey, looking man, forward I, to it. Me and Mario go back to elementary school, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to link you two up and that he was able to take advantage of this, this opportunity. Yeah, shout out to Mario Watts. Once again, the Random Select Podcast, Monday through Friday, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Beat Break 87 FM and Reach One Network. And Officer Franklin, we will stay in contact with each other to make some things happen, okay? Ways, all right. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Beat Break Morning Show, the Beat Break Podcast. Stay tuned for Mr. Moody's Motivation, Morning Motivation. And his segment, You May Be a Racist and You Don't Even Know It. Coming out of this segment, we all need a little bit of Mr. Moody to talk about, <laughs> to speak out against racism. And also, the caffeine and energy drink mixed by our very own DJ Rollum, highlighting Nas, who didn't get as much recognition for winning Rap Album of the Year at the 2021 Grammys this year, which is a slap in the face to many of us that love Nas, but we here at the Beat Break Morning Show want to make sure that artists like Nas get their flowers while they are alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Man, just thinking about the first, I'll say the first 30 seconds of the of the mix. You gonna like, damn. <laughs> hey, the I'm first looking. thirty seconds is gonna like, whoa. Yeah. Did he really say that? I like, yeah. Keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, keep listening. Hey, uh, you 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 like Nas, Marissa? You like Nas? Uh, uh not. not- I don't- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm very unknowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wait, listen hey. to whatever music YouTube puts on for me. <laughs> hey, hey, good okay. answer, good answer. Hey, you know, a lot of people think that Jay Z won that whole battle with uh, against Nas. So you know, hey, you can't you can't please everybody. 
Mm-hmm. You, you just can't. You just can't. All I got to say is first 30 seconds of mix. Ooh, it's going to blow y'all mind. <laughs> All right. Go Google it up. <laughs> <laughs> so while you're Googling that, let's go ahead and take a beat break. And we'll be right back with more of the Beat Break Morning Show, the Beat Break Podcast. It's the Beat Break Morning Show with Sean Garvey and the crew. 